0: Welcome to uh, Fireside Chat number sixteen. Um, as usual, uh, we pick a topic just before we start recording, and it's the kind of conversations that we used to have uh, when we were working together and in the evening over a, over a drink. We'd have these conversations. These are our opinions uh, expressed, often sometimes quite unqualified. But we find that you know these are quite interesting, and we decided to record them and. People seem to like them. So, as usual, if you like them, please subscribe and send us comments and send us ideas for for chats as well that you would like us to to discuss. So today we are going to talk about um, how does architecture impact the organization. So often we hear, uh, you know, Conway's law is is quoted quite often, and the inverse Conway's law is also quote, quoted quite often. And architecture has a very close relationship with with organizations, right? So without further ado, so what do you guys think? How does architecture impact the organization?
1: Jose, you start
0: <laughs> while
1: I think. <laughs> so I need time to digest that, to organize my
2: thoughts. Well, um... Well, i think let's let's start at the beginning now like uh you mentioned conway's law you mentioned architecture it would be good to start by you know kind of setting a baseline for for those um conway's law if i'm not you know quoting from memory but um it's it's Basically, an organization that designs systems will build systems that tend to reflect the communication patterns within the organization, right? So, if you have different silos, that normally the systems that you create will kind of represent the same borders or the same uh, blocks or units. No, that that you will find in the communication structure of the organization. Again, you can look it up; it's on Wikipedia, whatever. But um, so that's. Kind of what we're referring to know, like how a usually the systems tend to mirror the communication structure of the organization and the reverse would be you know can we by changing the systems or the architecture in the systems can we change the organization right that's one thing then the other is architecture and i guess that for the purpose of what we're going to be discussing we're going to use the definition of architecture that is relatively narrow, no? We're gonna probably focus more around how we structure those systems, yeah? Uh, how they're split or, you know, what kind of dependencies maybe they have uh, between and and not so much maybe, you know, which technology you choose to use or, or things like this, right? Um, or going to the level of the, you know, micro design if you're using layer, layer thing and so on, no? Um, and with those two out of the way, you no, know, um, I feel like this is a bit of a chicken and egg kind of situation, you no, know, because they both affect each other, right? Like uh, you, you can you can often see how the structure is reflected in the system, but when you start changing the system, it also affects how the organization works. So, which one takes precedence is, is uh, as part of the thing, no, and you often see this in things like uh, microservice architectures, no, or uh, monoliths, and and they definitely have an impact. Whether it's at different levels, no, things like you know how the teams are structured or what kind of processes or workflows we follow, that you know you can look at it from different uh, perspectives, if if you will. No, and I think that would be a good kind of approach to to move forward well i don't know what what do you think sandra
1: so i think that maybe we can uh talk about what kind of impact because like when we said like okay so we understood that the conway's law is quite common so the 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 systems are designed in a way that reflects the communication patterns in the organization and when we try when we try to do the reverse and rearrange our systems that should uh, create uh, an impact in the organization part, but what, what exactly, what exactly impact, impact we are talking about? Exactly. So I, I was thinking about a few uh, as as you were speaking. I was trying to to think about a few. So, for example, one is the the communication among people and teams, right? Uh, and the other another thing is the ownership as well. So those are. I have more, but like just start there. So, for example, if you have um, a, 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 a monolith, the everyone works on the same code base. It's difficult to structure that communication well, right? And, and I'll, I'll explain different facets of that communication. There is one fact
2: what do you mean exactly by the communication well between the people working in that code base
1: exactly in, in that system in general yeah. not only the developers but the testers the product owners everyone that their job uh, revolves around that system yeah and because it's a single system the communication patterns in there are very complex right so because for example developers they need to synchronize their changes and they keep stepping each other's toes so there is a a huge degree of effort to avoid conflicts of changes right so that is so they need to put far more effort in that communication feature-wise is the same so for example i remember uh, working quite a few projects that the product owners themselves, the people that were creating the different types of, because there were, although it's a single system, there are multiple streams of features, right? They want to change different parts of the system at the same time, and they have multiple teams. So they, the, the product owners, for example, they had to coordinate among themselves uh, and constantly speak to the technical people to say, hey, we want to have those features here, but does it conflict with those other features over there uh, would we need to use the same kind of people because the expertise, because it's a single system, uh, Is, is the, the, the expertise is also shared in a way. Testing the same thing as well. They had to synchronize, once they wanted to release something, they had to synchronize the testing cycles as well. So this is an example that uh, a type of architecture, which is a monolith, creates a certain uh type of communication, and there is a lot of effort in order to make that communication style to work. A microservice that would be the other extreme, and we have different architectural patterns in between, uh, would make those certain things easier and others more complicated. So there is less synchronization that needs to be done because the systems are sig- uh, significantly separate from each other as long as they keep the same interface, the same API the different streams of work, they don't need to have to put a lot of effort in collaboration. They can evolve those different areas without much collaboration. The developers, the same thing. There is less people to coordinate the changes because those changes are far more more isolated than others. This is just an example. I don't want you to spend too much time. But but this is an example of how an architecture can impact uh, the organization.
2: And and you you also didn't mention it when you were doing this, but you you mentioned ownership, and that's you know that's also very clear. Now, when you have a Microsoft, you usually have a you know a team that it that owns no kind of like that piece of the system. That's what gives them sometimes kind of like the sometimes yeah, sometimes yeah. But because this is this very is a common often, pattern. But,
1: but, but yeah, we have other patterns where you still have collective ownership in the microservices, but we can also discuss that, but like Sorry, I interrupted. Keep going. I just wanted to. No, 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 no. Point. It's
2: fine. It is it, fine. It's fine. It, it is. It is like I mean, that's that's part of the beauty of it. No, like uh, sometimes you may have uh, someone who completely owns that that part. Yeah. Uh, sometimes you may have someone who sets guidelines. You know, multiple people can contribute, but you know they are setting certain guidelines. all the times it's just you know. Free for all, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's it's again no it's not a single uh, way of doing it. No, uh, that's that's the beauty of it. No.
1: Yeah. In case I mean, we so- want to push ownership, it would be easier to have the separation when the architecture allows that to happen. Like in the microservice, would be much easier to isolate and have a more clear ownership of certain areas than if we had an architecture like a, a monolith. That would be much harder to uh, apply. Max, sorry, you were... Uh,
0: no, no, that's that's fine. I, I think there is another dimension that we probably need to kind of throw in there, and that is it's not related to microservices or monolith. It's related to the entire ecosystem of systems, the kind of enterprise architecture, as it were. And uh, it's n- not that prevalent in smaller organizations, but it's all almost always there in the larger organization where uh, you would have uh, departments that have been siloed for a very, very long time. And they are building these systems that are actually horizontals of the company's service or product delivery. Sometimes it's regulatory because they have certain laws related to, you know, what happens where and which parts of the organization. Other times it's just cultural and historical. The organization were split in that particular way. And so all these, the the product as it were for that organization is huge, built up of many, many systems uh, by organizations that have not a lot to do with each other, but they need to communicate in order to get the whole service out for that that company. So I think this is another dimension. It's maybe at a higher level because, you know, you can then have this idea of monolith or microservices within each one of those departments, right? And I think that's also also worth considering.
1: Yeah, there are extreme cases. I remember when we were at UBS uh, and speaking to one of the, uh, I think that they had a, a group CTO, right? That's where most of the architects, enterprise architects were. And they they were looking at more than seven hundred systems. We looked at five of those systems, and each one of those five systems were huge, huge systems. So so that's that's a a, a, a much bigger degree of complexity that you were saying, Ash. Uh, yeah. Yeah, okay.
0: it's kind of microservices complexity, but at the systems <laughs> level, right? <laughs> yeah. <exactly. laughs> so so that that I mean, and th- this basically goes back to that kind of Conway's law. I mean, you know in in those situations, it's always that's how the organization was set up and the systems have evolved accordingly. Um, and I think it, that kind of thing in order to change. And th- this is the other thing, maybe I, I don't know if you want to talk about it now or a bit later, is normally the interesting, I guess, things happen or the disc- Uh, uh, discussions arise when you start looking at uh, evolving these things or when you start looking at the pain points. And I think maybe first of all, it's better to understand the pain points, right? Because you know, when if, for example, um, systems have been built in a particular way, organization was designed in a particular way, and suddenly the business requires organizations to start working in a different way. So I'll give you an example. Um, uh, take um, retail. The Retail uh, evolved from bricks and mortar where there was very much kind of uh, ERP type systems and, you know, tills and very traditional uh, kind of, uh, you know, stock uh, order processing and all those kind of things. And then suddenly the whole idea of um, e-commerce started, which was done at the side of of the things. And now we are talking about very much a single view of the customer. Right. And suddenly there is a business pressure for these all these different systems to work in a very, very close uh, way in a much more integrated way. But the organizations are still not integrated. They are pretty, pretty. Uh, uh, kind of disjoint, and this is one of the pain points where actually companies are finding extremely difficult to have that integrated view of the customer. The customer is asking, like, you know, I started creating this basket on online. Why can't I come to the off uh, to your shop and say, okay, I have that basket. You know, just give me those uh, uh, items, right? Or, I've, or, or, I've or even like order
1: order. Or, order at store and have it delivered at home.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. I'm going to look at these things, but, you know, I just want them delivered at to my house. Exactly. So those kind of things are now, there is a business pressure and this, and but the organization uh, is not aligned in that way and the systems are definitely not aligned because of that. So that's one kind of major pain point. And I think it'll be good to, to discuss those kind of pain points as well when we start changing when the business needs change uh what happens then to the organizations or to the systems you know you talk about chicken and egg Jose well which one do you start changing first then do you start changing the organization
1: the, the, or do you start changing the, chi- the chicken and egg doesn't have answer mash like the, yeah the chicken and egg is not meant to be <laughs> answered <laughs> you're not meant to pick one <laughs> No, but, you have, but to, you, you have to start somewhere
2: but you're bringing you're bringing up well, I think a point that is quite interesting which is that a lot of the time that organizational change is triggered by uh, the adoption of technology or or similar right I, and the example that you were uh, saying before uh, when you're finding a solution to something like that right from a business perspective yeah the initial, you know, point of view is, okay, so what's in the market? Like, you know, like there are all of these companies that, right? oh, we need to adopt SAP, no, or whatever. And and then everyone will have to use this, right? And that's already, that, that's the thing that is bringing out all of the problems, right? Like all of the uh, all of the silos, all of the, you know, things that are you know, being done in isolation or repeated or, you know, like all, these, And and that's when you start being conscious of, the waste, and when you start being conscious of all of these uh, areas that you need to improve, yeah. And usually, what happens is that you need to be very flexible with it because there's no one way that will fit, you know, everyone in the organization, right? And it, especially when it's been evolving the way that it has so far, right? Like from one day to the next, people will not, you know, it it won't be easy to have people use a system or or work in a particular way right so trying to push it is is going to be uh hard in that sense but it comes from you know when you start the implementation and when you when you go down and say hey this will be great how do we do it no it's when you know things start uh, so so from that perspective could you do something beforehand in order to set the the stage for something like that to happen, uh, in more you know, in an easier way, yeah. Or is it something that you're always going to find this friction, right? Like once you start implementing, you're going to find it doesn't matter what what it is that you're doing. Can you even avoid that? No, to some extent.
1: They need to work side by side, right? So I don't think you can just pick one completely in isolation. The, I, I, I want you to, to evolve that example that Mesh was giving with a because it was a very concrete case that we had because uh, we went through that on the e-commerce side. And because there was a department called online, the online department was the new department where they were doing all the websites for that uh, company, selling the products online. And uh, the actual physical stores, they were a completely different department, much, much bigger, because that uh, department not only looked after the, the systems for the physical stores, but they looked after the systems for the warehouses as well, the all the logistics,
0: processes. Yeah, yeah,
1: exactly the fulfillment process and stuff. So then, uh, the kind of systems, first of all, the systems that were uh, built for the bricks and mortar, like sort the physical stores, they were way older because that business started in the '60s or something along those lines, and then uh, the systems were introduced a little bit later. And there were like main, there was still mainframe running, I think, in some of them. Uh, and COBOL in in other parts and and, and all sorts of technologies and by nature they work not only the systems that the the technologies were different, culturally they were different because as they started decades uh, earlier, they also worked in a much more waterfall way and their relationship with their suppliers and technical people was also different when you compare to the online. So so in terms of organizations, although they were the same company, they were, they had absolutely zero in common. Like where the online was more agile, that everything was more integrated, more modern technologies and stuff. So, and then all of a sudden, what the business said, hey, you know what? Online is growing. The physical stores are coming down. We want to have omnichannel. That's what Mesh was referring to. So we want, the, not, the stores don't have all the stock, all the catalog. So if people go to the stores and they don't find what they want, they could go and and, and uh, order from the shop. And then you might say, but what? well, then they go to the website. Well, but if they go to the website, if they just open the browser and went to the website for the online, they would not have the trace for the client. They would not know that that client was a client that actually went to the store and had that account and stuff. And, and so, so basically the client base was separate, right? They could not co- combine the clients. So in, in order to establish omni channel, they had to start unifying the concept of clients, the concept of products, because again, the products was also separate. The products that were on the online side, they were fulfilled by different warehouses and the, the, the store were, so, the product was separate, the client base was separate. So even if, so then this is the business said, hey, we want omnichannel. So this is not just a simple change in systems because you had to unify those systems. But when you unify those systems, quite often you need to either you decommission one and you migrate the old one or one of them. You, you move all the data from one to the other and then make all the, the necessary changes. Or you create even a, a new one and decommission both sides. And then you have now have a service in the middle that would be a client or a product so on. Those new systems or those changes, now they are shared by people from two completely different organizations. So who owns them? Which technology do you, do you go? What is the technical vision for those components? So, I mean, so the, now they have pressures for the, to evolve from different sides of the organization. So, who coordinates those uh, changes? Right? So, how do you prioritize them? So, this is where all of a sudden the architecture forces the organization to become far more integrated, force them to collaborate better. Right? So, that's when you start breaking the silos. Some of those changes might be even be harmful, depending on how you make them. But quite often, this is a good opportunity as we are we. Architecting the systems to create this, what we call the, the the inverse Conway's maneuver, like use the the a new architecture as you rearrange the systems to fit the business, but also to to cause a, a, a positive impact in how people collaborate. Right. And that's there, a very concrete example. There,
0: there is there is an evolutionary thing to this, and and the thing is, this kind of thing you can't. People do. Take different attitudes to to it, and uh, Jose also asked, like, do you do any something before you, uh, before you bring about these kind of changes, or before you start this thing? And I'll tell you, there are certain anti-patterns that I have certainly seen, and maybe one or two things. Maybe I think that could work, right? One big anti-pattern is to stick a great big middleware in between, right? To say, okay, I'm bringing a, 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 I don't know, some kind of uh, middlewares uh, in, into this uh, that will, it, in a way, I've seen, I've seen multiple implications of this. I've seen it being done in like Giga spaces, which is kind of a distributed ev- kind of event grid, to uh, kind of. Uh, evolved service orient uh, service buses like MuleSoft and so on, right? And where they say, well, we're going to have governance and we're going to have we're going to bring all this data into the middle and then we will have an ecosystem of of services that are using this data. And in theory, I don't think there's anything wrong with the idea. But normally the way that idea becomes uh, uh implemented and this is another anti-pan is that a a dominant department takes lead doesn't involve the other departments too much because it's dominant says okay this is how we're gonna do it we are sticking this middleware in between right this is another anti-pan and everyone else you must you know like it or lump it, you're going to have to live with this. Right. So so you will start we will set it up and then you'll start consuming and then you'll start decommissioning or or not using your databases and come come into this. This is another big, big anti pattern. The uh, another thing that I often I have seen is uh, bringing in a brand new off the shelf do it all solution. And I'm sorry, but SAP comes to mind here, right? We are gonna bring in SAP. Yeah. Like all this stuff, bespoke things that you build is rubbish. We're gonna bring in SAP, plonk it in the middle, and
2: suddenly most of and, what
0: you've done is gonna be and, redundant. No, and then
2: build a lot of custom <laughs> stuff. On top of it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly.
0: This is kind of almost like similar to a SOA-based approach. Yeah, right. Uh, the other way that they they kind of do is um apis right well Amazon have done it we <laughs> yes. are now gonna do apis we're gonna build each one of the departments has gonna have a well-defined interface built around certain apis and we are and suddenly they say oh yeah you know what we need the API gateway we need I don't know you know like apogee or, or these kind of things that will, in a way govern the interfaces between these uh, organizations, and then they can do whatever they like behind them because you know what well, we have agreed, we have the API gateways, right? Excuse me, should have. Uh, so um, so there's. So these are these are some of the anti-patterns, I'm
2: sure there one, are others. One well. thing that I would add to that is uh, that even in the cases where they stick the middleware in and middle, like even if there's someone a like pushing that, like you, you mentioned it as a, you know, a dominant department or product or whatever you want to call it. No, it's just kind of like leading that transition. What usually happens is that that middle will, uh, that middle, two things. One is once it's set up, usually there's not a clear ownership of it. And then, you know, maybe the, the, the group that started it, doesn't want to onto it because that would mean, you know, dedicating resources to maybe serving other people who have needs over it. Yeah. Uh, Or it becomes like a a sticky bowl, right? Like everything that, you know, I don't want to have to deal with because I don't have budget or I don't have resources. I, I send it to that group to be implemented in the middleware, right? I don't want to touch the product. I'll, I'll have, you know, this integrators, do the work, right? And that quickly ends up uh, in a space where there's lots of uh, domain logic or, or things that are related to specific areas that are not under their control, right? They're uh, they're administered or or, or um, evolved, let's say, or maintained by someone else, right? Nobody knows about them. And you, you get this spread out either data or logic or whatever right like that this all one thing that comes to mind is processing right like processing of whatever you know, like files that data uh, using things to move a you know uh, uh, files from one system to the next but of course you it's not just a, mer- a mere conversion you need to do other stuff in order to so now you're quickly moving things that are you know should be under specific domain they're spreading out to other areas of the uh, of, of the architecture or, or the system, right, and that can happen really quickly and without noticing it, right? Especially yeah. if, if it's one of these, you know, do all kind of you know Swiss Army knives kind of uh, things. Now that, that make it kind of easy for you to to go down that road. No?
1: So, so I, I don't want you ex- uh, to spend too much time on example. this there are a few other things that I'd like to talk about, but are, but, but I just want you to do the devil's advocate here. So, I. It, when when uh, SOA was introduced, if I'm not wrong, uh, it was in 1996. And so someone will probably correct me. Uh, but that's what I roughly remember. It, because it was roughly when I was joining the industry. Uh, and, and I understand that, like, later on, the, the scenario that you mentioned, Mesh, like, there was a... At some, point in, at, someone, at some point in the 2000s, there, there was a big drive to APIs. I remember like all large organizations, they say, hey, all our major systems should start exposing APIs. Let's introduce those middlewares and stuff. And I, I found that for, I recognize all the problems that you mentioned because they were just perpetuating the lack of collaboration across departments and they were perpetuating the silos, right? Say, look, don't speak to me. My system. I, I will. I think that the other departments was, might be interested in these kind of APIs. So those APIs were not tailored to a specific need or a specific system or client. It was just a let's just start exposing APIs that follow a specific standard, and we had SOP, we have all, like the SOAP. I mean, like so, so all that kind of stuff. So, so in those midways. I understand what the goal was. The, the intent was all the systems expose API, and then in theory, which I haven't seen work well, we could combine that information to whatever the business might need. So the, the 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 goal was interesting in terms of providing an easy collaboration across systems. The implementation for me was lousy, but, like, but that was a business decision impacting the architecture. Like doing a devil's advocate, how would we solve, like, for example, what would be a positive impact that a more modern architecture could still provide that communication across system uh, and also enhance the collaboration? I, I have my own opinions, but I just wanted to, to do the devil's advocate and, and see what you guys think.
0: I mean, well, one thing that we've, I mean, Jose and I, I think we've done a talk with Redis about this as well, right? Is uh, providing a platform so it's not you're not really providing you know you don't have a central comp, uh, organization that's doing governance on interfaces and those kind of things by the way earlier when you mentioned standard apis i thought well that's actually a good thing but i didn't mean soap or rest uh, well, if it's standard an industry standard based uh pro like you know you've got um in trading, like Swift and those kind of things, but the, but anyway, it's we'll, because you mentioned inter, you
1: you mentioned enterprise service buzz and all these aggregators. Yeah, and yeah. back then, back in the day, we I remember all the SOAP protocol.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, that yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, sorry, I've I've kind of lost my <laughs> <laughs> I lost the track. What was
1: that? What was I talking about? <laughs> you were talking about standardized APIs. It was a good thing, and you mentioned a talk uh, that you have a... Uh-huh. Uh, Redes and yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: Thank you. So, so y- your question was: Is there something that we can do in a in a better way? And I think they like you know I talked about anti patterns, but there can be some good patterns as well. One is from a, a technology point of view: is make the 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 job of integrating different systems and services easier and better. So we were actually talking about like almost like a, a data fabric, where you you have a platform that allows information interchange, and also the ability to store information and kind of uh, expose interfaces like public and private uh, data uh, into into a central place. That could that from a platform perspective, it could actually enable uh, departments to start integrating at a technology level. So that's one thing and you know there's there's a lot more to be said about that but that that's one area technically you can facilitate integration you can facilitate a more reliable way of sharing information both uh, especially public information that the systems may want to share with each other right so but the other thing that is even much more important in my view is about is the organizational aspect is that when you are talking about Um, certain siloed organizations that are then suddenly need to start talking to each other, you will have a big uh, kind of duplication of effort in many places. And you will have, you know, we we take this kind of bounded context and domain-driven design language, and you will basically have these bounded contexts that are duplicated in different departments, right? And if you start bringing the organizations together, uh, w- with the view of creating a more holistic uh, domain view on what the, 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 the uh, systems should be doing from a domain perspective and how that domain then applies to the actual systems and where there's duplication and where there should be one and where they, you know, you can even in uh, in domain design, you have this context map and you can start creating this context map and mapping the systems underneath it and working together and creating a common evolution strategy on what goes where and and even uh, a a common uh, agreement around wh- who owns what and those kind of things you don't have to have this revolution within your organization to then start working together so i think there are ways to to actually start uh, to 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 bring these things together but it actually involves people working together and using some nice tools that are out there in terms of domain modeling and and so on to kind of create a strategy, a technical strategy around this evolution.
1: And those things, they need to be reviewed often as well. Like, so mainly at the level that we are talking about, like the the, the bounded context we are talking about, like at quite a high level in terms of system level, department level and all this kind of stuff. So those things, they need to be, reviewed often like uh, and by often i mean like every six maybe 12 months you you need to to, i like the idea of having uh these kind of high level context mapping so with the the domain bounded context and and, uh, like one or two levels of sub context as well right so so to understand what is inside this box like how many other smaller box are inside how many of those how much information from that small box should be provided to the other um, yeah and roommates. what kind of dependencies
2: exactly like like exactly. what's the relationship between them which is which is what a lot of that you know integration has to deal with right it's not so much what needs to be done within the concept, but how that interacts with everything else no
1: exactly exactly so 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 the the degree of interaction across domains uh is different and 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 you need to keep reviewing that every 12 months and then have a plan to to make those changes uh, as the business evolve like uh, almost like as as a continuous improvement program right as we say exactly you are always recalibrating uh, it's almost like a, a refactoring, but at an architectural level, right? Mm-hmm. So, so you're mm-hmm. always recalibrating the business, so you never need to go through a big bang. Change everything at an architectural level. Mm-hmm. So, the there is another area that it would be interesting to discuss. Um, we've seen in a lot of large organizations, even in in smaller ones, but uh, but. It, it's not only only about the size of the organization. The size just makes things more uh, complex, but uh, make the problem bigger. But the uh, is re- regulations, for example, or certifications. So there are quite a lot of systems that we need to be compliant to regulations. And we we've been in many different industries, from finance to uh, pharmaceuticals to to even logistics, and so. Uh, Even at the retail as well, when you talk about PCI compliance, for example, or or data security and GDPR and and things like that. So those are all the different types of... uh, So because I've seen that uh, quite often, because of the compliance with all those different types of regulations, a lot of processes are put in place, right? So people to make a change in the system, they need to have... Uh, design document, they need to be reviewed by someone else, or before you release a software to production, you need to go through a certain process or multiple reviews or, or whatever, right? There are There is a lot of processes that are created just to make sure that whatever is being built is compliant, and in some organizations, they have full departments uh, that is compliance and standards, right? So this is a very important department that they will create all those processes. And, and the reason I'm giving that context is because the way that the systems are architected uh, have a big impact in how those processes are created. And uh, the, the, how can I say, and, and how wide those processes are applied across the organization. Because, for example, in systems where everything's a bit together, right? not only in a monolith, but the systems are quite large and, and, and people and, and when we are architecting those systems we don't take that perspective into account. We force the entire system to be under those process. But when you, but a, a way just to simplify process and organization or at least reduce the area where certain processes are needed is with isolating those areas. It, it's not only the bounded context that we take into account, just the, the business flow or the communication flow, but also those operational constraints or regulatory constraints and isolating them restricts significantly where certain process need to be applicable. And that's a, another way that a, a, a better architecture could create a a, a, signif- a a very positive impact in the process of the organization. Oh,
0: sorry, good. Did
2: the the example you mm, that you're probably thinking of uh, as well is you know the you mentioned pci compliance and so on if that is inside you know this,
1: this is one system, yeah exactly but there are many mm, others.
2: extracting extracting that right uh would allow you to have to follow different processes right or release cadences and so on right uh for for each part of the system right we we, we have another example where you know you you're deploying maybe software on the edge in a lab somewhere or you know under certain conditions like if you every time that you're deploying what you need to put in the machines you're having to go through the whole thing that makes your release cycle really long what if you could you know deploy the the foundation yeah that goes through the security checks and all of that, and then be able to deploy specific parts of the system through a different mechanism, mm-hmm. for instance. Right. Um, so there's definitely a lot of advantages to to gain from a business perspective and from a you know development perspective. The company, yeah. you know, the, those I've
0: got I've got a lot of anecdotes in this area, but kind of almost on the reverse side, whereas, you know, you can use um, uh, architecture or the way you architect your software to simplify regulatory processes, and but on the other end, I've seen many uh, complications of, uh, in in software architecture that are attributed to oh because it's um, that's how that's what you know regulation says. You know that we it's it's regulatory. So like, oh, okay. Then I'm not gonna say. Uh, I once had a, a um, I was working in a uh, kind of a department that there was a lot of things that were being done, and this was particularly uh, related to the release processes, right? And there was an um, an idea that we they had auditors that had come. And they had okayed a particular release process. And they had automated or not automated it, but they had centralized it. Because then they thought, well, if, we, if everybody uses this release process, then it's, it's been given the blessing from auditors. So our release process does not need to go through a separate audit because we will use this release process. The problem was that release process was atrocious. It was horrible. It was putting um, it because it was centralized. There was queues, there were wait times for your like test environment builds. It was super restrictive. Um, And then when you say when you uh, I was once told, actually, uh, we started a new team and said, like, I'm not using this process. We're going to create our own. And I was told that this was way above my pay grade to fight that fight. And and but but that that that's that but th- this this also happens right. Almost um, these kind of regulatory uh, reasons or organizational reasons are used and then codified in systems, and then they, it becomes like a holy cow. You can't change it because it's it has audit approval. I've got another quick. And, Sorry, and dependencies
2: on. as well. Sorry, before you jump into that one. And dependencies, because if everyone is using that, then it becomes even harder to change it. Right? Exactly. Then you, you now need to attend the needs of everyone else who's actually using that thing, right? So it's yeah. not a, it's not that easy. Either.
0: And, and by, by the way, I, I did in this particular case, I did go and fight that fight. And it turned out all the, the auditors required was this idea of an immutable release and all the centralized system was doing to satisfy the auditors were providing them releases and that was it and everything else around it was just gumph. and but people were using it because you know it was audit approved. i mm-hmm. i have a slightly different uh, anecdote as well i thought people might find it interesting is that we were working with uh, switzerland and there was this idea of um you know there is like sharing of information right and the, their idea was that you know you can rather than saying you can have the information, like so, obviously the, the principle was that, you know, you can have the information on an as needed basis. So it could c- come out of the secure zone. Uh, you could ask for that on an as needed basis, right? However, it kind of transpired to that you can have this information if, if it's in memory, but you don't save it. So, so they had whole databases <laughs> come sit in memory Completely violating the actual principle, which was that only share information that you need. But it came to like, oh, uh, do you uh, you using this information? Yeah, are you gonna persist it? No, no, it's gonna be only memory. Okay, then you can have it. <laughs> it's also mm-hmm. another way of kind of complicating, kind of almost making architectural um, decisions as the uh, and making those the kind of primary. Uh, principle rather than the principle that they are, that, that are there, there to implement.
1: There, there is another uh, example that I just remembered in how a better architecture can cause a, a significant organizational impact. It's different from some of the things that we were mentioning. There were quite a few times that we discussed with organizations where they had a service, right, so they had a product, a software product, and but different clients, they wanted different types of customizations. And I remember that uh, we were uh, talking to the most recent uh, example, it's been a few years now. Uh, they, they had like, a, it's almost like a, a system for car dealers, right? So, but across the world. And of course that uh, the, the rules for financing a car uh, or checking for credits and, and many other things that they did and insurance and so on and so forth, and paying taxes and services, those kind of stuff that vary massively from country to country. And and even like from even car dealers to car dealers as well, they had differences. So so they had a single product, but because different clients wanted different things, they started customizing their product and then, but different clients wanted different changes. So, So then what they end up with, they end up with copies of that system that certain clients had one version of that system that could not be used in another version. And, and, and some of the, the, the versions had evolved so far that they could not be brought together anymore. They were just a different product. And that's when you are in a mix. Uh, and, and, I, and we've seen, this is just the most recent that I remember, but like we spoke to quite a few companies in the past with exactly the same problem where they were a product company, but they were operating far more as a service company where each one of their clients had people dedicated to them just to do their changes and and, uh, and the problem was even bigger because it made it very difficult to sell their product because when you were selling you, you, because it was all intertwined and they had different versions they had to sell all the features together and and switching on features on and off became really complex when you have all those discrepancies that certain clients don't even have certain features available to them as part of the thing so um and this is like, I remember like such an, an interesting conversation because for example, the architecture was not allowing them to remain a product company and easily customize their systems to their, their clients. But most importantly, even be able to offer different packages at different levels to their customers. So, and rem- I remember us discussing a plugin architecture for example, where they could, so a plugin architecture in that case, would have allowed to replace entire modules from the financing model, uh, from from the, the, the whatever services model, whatever else, uh, and also sell the product at different uh, levels, the, the platinum, the gold and silver, if you buy these, you get more features and so on and so forth. So they didn't have the flexibility and what is was holding them back was the architecture. So evolving the architecture of that product would create a, a a huge business flexibility to evolve that world. So so that's another example that I just just came back to my
2: mind. i it, um, you sorry.
0: Sorry, I, I'm aware of time, and I I, I thought maybe we want to discuss a few other things. In particular, um, there there is uh, we wanted to talk about splitting of uh, capabilities or architecture along. Uh, splitting architecture around capabilities like front-end, back-end
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, uh, and uh, kind of mobile teams and those kind of thing. I think that's an important thing that we should, we should have a quick chat about and maybe around um, environments and, and those kind of things maybe as well. So, I mean, I can start around the um, I mean, un- unless there's something that we want to Kind of finish up on what we were talking about earlier. No, no, that's okay, fine. So, yeah, yeah. So um, I think on the uh, the front end, back end side of things, like I mean, we've got we've got a few different architectures that are in play that allow you to have different kind of uh, models, and they have pros and cons. And I think we've we've um, faced a lot of those decisions in the past as well. In particular, uh, there is this front-end, back-end thing uh, which is, you know, we often see uh, back-end teams just building APIs, as it were, and then you've got front-end teams. And in fact, we've seen companies that have actually tried to go in this way where they call back-end engineering and front-end digital and that kind of stuff and completely draw that line between those and have some catastrophic results uh, trying to do that. But I think it'll be good to, to have a quick chat on why is is, is there a, a, a in this particular case, for example, front end versus back end? Is there ever a case to have a front end teams separated from back end teams? And when we say front end, we mean UI basically, and the back end is the you know the kind of the, the logic or the uh, that's happening.
1: I have mixed feelings about this one. For me, it's not a clear cut. I think that most people would expect, oh, yeah, we should have cross-functional teams and, and, and that's it and blah, blah. I have mixed feelings. The, I'll explain why. I think that the front end specifically, like let, let's take modern applications. And what do I mean by modern applications? Where you have some uh, small services at the back, Call it microservices if you want, but we have a few well-defined services with well-defined APIs, but they don't know how uh, that information is consumed. So I like the separation, uh, the physical separation of our front of the front end from the back end. In terms of architecture, I'm not talking about people yet. I'm gonna get to people, yeah. So I like the idea of the separation, the physical separation of, of the, the front end, and we can even like the front end can be even sub can be subdivided by micro front ends and all that kind of all the different patterns that you can apply just on the front end side. The reason that I like that approach is because you can change the user journey. Uh, purely changing how the front-end is approached, so just changing the front-end and create different user journeys on the web or on the mobile uh, without having to change the back-end as long as the APIs are designed uh, in a way that can support that, yeah? So that physical separate, I like. Now it gets to people. Assuming that we have that separation, the 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 back end services are easy for a for a team to own them because normally they are a part of a domain. The front end, although there is micro front ends today, is normally a bit more together. There is more consistency to be kept. The back end, you can afford to have different services having implementing things in a different way. They can manage transactions in a different way. They can even use completely different technologies or programming languages, although I personally would discourage a bit, but like Uh, the front end, there is more to keep the consistency in terms of the layout, in terms of the design, in terms of... So sometimes when you have cross-functional teams, I feel that the front end might become very messy because there's no ownership. The the ownership of the front end becomes a bit blurred. So this is why I have mixed feelings. It can work well, but it's not as a clear cut for me.
0: Yeah, I mean, there, there are aspects uh, that you can do to, to make it work well. Oh, oh sorry, sure. Mesh,
1: just before you go, uh, just before, so and, and front-end is not only the web. This is what I wanted to say as well, because you have the mobile as a front-end as well. I just wanted to add yeah,
0: that. Yeah, and the, the, this is, that's actually a separate question and often it, ends up being. In a, it, it's, because they are just channels. Are channels no, they, line, they, so.
1: are. They, they are different channels. No, they are.
0: They are different channels but uh, the, the technology stacks related to web, and it uh, d- depends on what technology you use. We talk about very much native apps, right? Mm. Native app development is, is, is almost a discipline in its own, right? And often native apps are built as a monolith, kind of splitting them out is not an easy task. Splitting web uh, a, based kind of interfaces is uh, or browser based interfaces um, or you, uh, apps that are built with browser based type technologies is is there is more uh, let's say standards or more ways of working out there that allow you to do it and we we've always found that that thing where if you for example you if you try to kind of split an a mobile app it's I mean Personally, I haven't seen it done, done well, but I have seen web uh, UIs split into micro frontends done in a very nice way and still keeping the consistency through uh, shared uh, styles and components, uh, web components and those kind of things, component libraries and those kind of things. Um, uh, so you keep that consistency, even comp- uh, keeping the, the communication between those components quite nice. Uh, but still providing these kind of cross-functional teams that are doing the front-end and, 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 and the back But that consistency,
1: just, just to, to, to explore this a bit more, that consistency normally is done by a group of people that could be representatives of those different uh, teams, those different cross-functional teams. But, but yeah. they're, 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 you need to have, a, uh, in terms of organizational impact in ter- with that architecture, there is a need to let's say, look after a group of people to look after the consistency of the... So the it concept, it, right? it kind
0: of works almost in a similar way to platform versus product, right? And it can work in, in that way. So you, you, you can have uh, people dedicated towards ensuring that certain standards are kept, that they are building certain kind of components and so on. Uh, and cross functional teams that have both front end back end capability that are then leveraging those libraries almost and uh, the common styles and so on and uh, style guides and so on to to actually build features out
2: hey so if i if i may jump in i there's something you said, Max, that I don't entirely agree with. No, the, the, this idea that usually mobile tends to be more in, in the monolith. I agree that it tends to be deployed as a as one unit because of you know you, you don't normally deploy specific but within the application you can like Spotify for instance is, is an example of that where components themselves are owned by, you know, different you know teams and so on and it's not you, you, they, there is separation between those. Now, the other problem that Sandra is mentioning now, uh, which is more around consistency in the you know journey UI experience and so on, for me, that's a product thing. It, you know what I mean? Like You could have that same problem if no one is making sure that it is consistent independently of, of the architecture that you're choosing to use, right? It is true that if you have a lot of separation no like the component uh, approach that we were talking about or or micro front ends or whatever right and everyone is doing whatever they want no let's say you have someone leading product on this area let's say ads right Uh, components related to ad and upselling and showing that that's that's owned no by that part of the domain is owned by team or set of teams and then you have i don't know a Classified, no, the, 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 around the uh, actual items no, that you're selling or whatever, right? If everyone is doing whatever they want and there's no, you know, guidelines on style, on, you know, uh, user experience or solutions, let's say, to, to the different problems within the app, you can get this kind of schizophrenic, application right like you open a, a screen and it's something completely different than uh than another one and this works this way and then another but that's for me a matter of aligning around product more than it is an, a matter of architecture uh itself right? like, but, but like, for me
1: the what i was saying is was that, is that i agree to, to a degree in what you were saying i can see that i i had two different points that one is, for example, that is, if you have the backends, let's say the services, you have like a microservice architecture. Although, although I would encourage uh, those services to follow the same patterns, the same technology. As you open different services, you, you are in a well-known. You are not surprised. You are comfortable. You recognize the patterns and the technology and so on. But it's not necessary that you do that. You don't need. To put so much effort in that consistency, but in the front end, you are you need to, right? So that is a you are first because that that experience that that thing that the, the, the user is going through it needs to look the same. And you have multiple people from different teams touching on on while in the back end you don't, right? Having consistency is great, but it's not as needed as it is, as much needed as it is needed in the front end. And, and the, reason, the, the, the point that I'm making, of course, is all possible, but it has an organizational impact. And also, that is one pattern having separate other patterns. For example, we work with Monolith, where the back end, the, 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 the front end is generated through templates from the back end. And that creates a completely different dynamic in, in how... And a different the set dynamics. of problems. A different set well, of problems, and this is what I'm saying, so the architecture doesn't ha, have an implication in how those people collaborate, where they need to synchronize and align, the number of people that need to be aligned to provide the same set, uh, work, and th- this is this is what I was coming from. I,
2: I, I would say that the number of people that need to be aligned is, you know, the people that need to be aligned around the product, like, providing consistency in the product, that's going to stay there. Like, like that's going to be a common point. What architecture does is it provides opportunities wow. for things to be done differently and to, to make those trade-offs, right? Like you you were mentioning, no microservices, I, I could use the same thing, like a template and, you know, same technology, knowledge but I could, but part of using microservices is also being able to change if I need to change, right? And, sure. and, and have that be, you know, so it's, it's providing the choices is is giving you the choices. Um but from a product perspective that I don't think that's entirely true unless you have very separated, you know, it's one platform but, you know, different products uh, almost. You know what I mean? Like if you have one product and you have different people working on there that you'll have to have that coordination either way. And that that for me you can get rid of that by just uh, uh, changing the architecture. I mean, I don't. Uh, sure also, I, to- no, I, I,
0: hmm? I, you can't get rid of it completely. I, I think that this is one of those scenarios where uh, there are pros and cons to both situations, right? But there, are, I, I think there are. It, it depends on which, where the complexity is the most, and how you design your architecture is based on where where the you know if you cut the thing in one way if you cut the thing for example to say you know what i'm just going to have a monolith front end and lots of back-end microservices right you're making a certain kind of decision where you're saying that the the communication between the front-end people uh is way more important than uh than the communication from the front end to the back-end teams because you 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 you're sacrificing so, so because you don't have a cohesive vertical team. You're making that sacrifice because you you are in a, in a way saying that this horizontal communication is of more value, right? On the other hand, what you're saying is that the vertical communication is of more value. But then now I'm sacrificing this uh, uh, kind of built-in a cohesiveness that I get off the interface that I don't have to to govern or manage right so what I'm saying is I'm valuing the 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 vertical communication in this case and then what I'm doing is putting structures in place to get some level of cohesiveness at the horizontal level right and it's basically you're making that decision and and in a way I mean this is why it's probably a difficult conversation because this is different for for different scenarios right depending on the kind of product you have depending on the complexity of the organization the number of teams all those kind of things you actually one may work over the other personally I mean if I to look at the default I prefer the verticals that actually saying because you know Mm. if I have certain kind of standards in place I can have autonomous-ish teams working on individual business features. On the other hand, I know that I always have to coordinate. Uh, there is no other way way
2: to there's no options. There, there's yeah, no, there's options. no options, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah but uh, so I know that we are over time, but I think this is this is quite a cool subject and I just wanted you to get a point across because it's not only about coordination. Um, all being equal or for or without any context, if you ask me, would you go for a separate front-end team and a separate back end team? or you would go for a cross-functional team. Without any context, I normally would go for a cross-functional team, right? So, but but there are uh, a few things that, for example, in, let, we, let's follow through the, the e-commerce, uh, because this is quite well known to everyone. For example, let's say that there are many things that the business wants to do. They want to, uh, let's say, uh, onboard a new payment method. They want to evolve their recommendation system and they want to have multiple types of catalogs in different countries. So there are three different business efforts that you need to be done potentially by different teams in different uh, bounded contexts and stuff. Those things take some time. So here are, I'm just describing, uh, um, what is it called? Uh, pressures in a specific bounded context, uh, is pressure that a specific bounded context have to change. And then a cross-functional team could deal with that. But there are also pressures that come purely just on the front end. You want to change the user journey. And the user journey goes across multiple bounded contexts. It comes from searching for the product, getting recommendation, then uh, adding that to the basket, and then in there, you might have more recommendations or a discount or a promotion and stuff like that. So a user journey is full of things that come, the front end combine elements across uh, all bounded contexts and they evolve independently from the back because you do user research you do all, all this kind of stuff and you are always trying to evolve and this is where the pure vertical teams don't work well because like it would be far harder to have different people from all those different vertical teams to work together just because you want to change the new user journey but use still the same but still keep using the same apis and sometimes it's I see cases, this is what I'm trying to say. I'm not saying that I favor that, but what I was saying that for me is not a clear cut because I see that there is a lot of pressure just to change the user, the, the front ends. And that includes the mobile and the web that not necessarily will change the backend. And this is common. Mm-hmm.
0: Right. Um, I, I, I know an example of one organization and I, I know this pressure is there and it's a very good point that when, you know, you you still have to think of the thing holistically. And, and this actually, uh, uh, and if you're talking about just in pure kind of outside the context, you don't have to evolve organizations and just start with that, then maybe, but, you know, at what point you say, well, the team just going to look at user journeys or the, you know, how much is it across and how much is it just verticals? Mm-hmm. Um, but we know of an organization that actually kind of had uh, problems with their e-commerce solution uh, which is a very large organization and what they did was they they had they went through this m- big transformation they had gone through this where they went through cross-functional teams and they had a really good culture in the organization and they then decided that this is the thing i was thinking like they they had engineering which was the back end and they t- so they split the these teams right down the middle engineering and digital and and it caused a catastrophic but i think this was also to do with how they made that change happen but they lost about 80 percent of their people
1: yeah this is what i said i was just trying to do the devil's advocate because it's very easy to say you know cross-functional team is the solution for everything and and i, I the whole point is what it may not be the solution a for cut.
2: everything it, it may not be the solution, but yeah. I definitely have a preference for <laughs> for that. Yeah. Just on just on the just banking on the having the right skill set in order to get a unit of of work done, right? Like getting delivering value in a constant kind of stream, right? Like not having to wait, you know, stop in the in that no, the, handover, stream, not the, the handover the, the and all these things just uh, trying to avoid that for me it already you know provides certain benefits that you know you can do it's not always the case right like sometimes you go to, you go to an organization and they're already structured in a in a very different way and you you have to work around certain constraints and that kind of stuff but yeah, yeah. And I, I think that I you need, need to,
1: to analyze that. the grain of changes uh, over time because some changes will be a vertical change. It will be a very clean, it's just in the catalog hmm. domain, in the catalog area or in the payments area or so on and so forth. Some some chains are very square, very vertical, cross-functional teamwork works well. But there are chains, that are cross-cutting concerns uh, that will change across. And then we need to, for me, this is why I said that it's not clear, how often those chains come. And then like, if they are coming too often, then we need to, re- then another way of looking at it, do we have the wrong bounded context? Because if, if the chains are always going across bounded context, maybe the, 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 the definition of bounded context it's
0: is not is wrong. not not correct. Yeah. Not correct. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. so, so yeah. It's
1: more about splitting, yeah. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So, so th- those are things that uh, the architecture has that impact uh, in how people collaborate, how people uh, understand the system and are organized. So cool! I think we are a bit over time, aren't we? As always. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: There, there is an uh, one thing that we didn't touch on, uh, which is the impact that uh, architecture has on business financials. For instance, the whole capex versus opex uh, kind of approach, and that which is also kind of like a mind uh, change in many organizations because before I used to, you know, I buy my servers and I have everything in my, you know uh data center etc right versus going to the cloud and you know serverless and all these things that i no longer have a clear picture of what this is going to cost me and so on right and and that's a big uh mindset change as well but uh we're we're over time so yeah related to that is the
0: whole environment things that i said we may want to talk about but i think it's safe to say that this is a huge topic there's quite a Mm -hmm. few things that we haven't discussed on it but maybe another yeah. time <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. Cool. maybe have a part two.
0: yeah
1: okay shall we wrap up yes. Yes. No. yes well as always like if people like this uh episode or all the conversation we're having uh subscribe to the channel so you are notified when there are new episodes Give us a thumbs up and add it to the comments uh, if there is anything you'd like us to discuss. We'd be more than happy to to pick up the topic. See you next time. Thank you. Bye-bye.